Welcome to Blue Talks. Thank you guys uh, you know, for being here live. I love doing uh, podcast interviews live. That's been a new thing of mine. Like I love the energy of that versus, I mean, I love doing podcast interviews, but the energy of being in front of an audience versus the traditional podcast where I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of podcasters are in their basement. <laughs> You know, like their mom yelling, Get, clean, up your, <laughs> clean up your pants, you know, or whatever. And, and they're like, shut up, mom, I'm, I'm recording. You know, that, that is a real thing. Like, it's almost like ham radio back in the day. There are a lot of podcasters in their basement. And so it's kind of cool when it's a live interview. Um, but I also love mixing things up. You know, as you got to see already, uh, we went in a couple of different directions, you know, in a heart-based direction, totally different, let's say, than business direction. Well, now we're going to go... I'm going to say a little closer to business now when we talk about the book business. And so John Ty, uh, normally I've been reading a bio, but I've known John quite a while. So just really quickly, uh, how John and I met was he used to have a podcast called, let's see if I can get it correctly, uh, Position, did I start it wrong already? Pu publish. Publish, Position, Profit? Yeah. Okay. Publish, Position, Profit. And so... I still can't remember. I think you said I reached out to you originally. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so I reached out to John originally about being on the show. I was you know, still newer in the podcasting world. And then ultimately, I asked John if he would come on my show. So how we first connected was through podcasting. And I just saw that he had a podcast. Uh, and I wanted to see if I could get on it because it was a good fit for me. And then we had mutual contacts. Um, Tyler Basu, do you know Tyler? Was it? Yeah. Okay, so different, different people that were in the podcasting game that were kind of mutual connections. And so we got to know each other through podcasting, but how I got to actually work with John is he launched this thing called Crush It with Kindle. And Crush It with Kindle was exactly kind of how it sounds, like how do you crush it with Kindle books? You know, so non-physical books. And he knew his stuff in a big way, and I was trying to figure out my stuff in that world. And so to finish this off, I'll just say, um, I signed up for John's program, and I literally got results from his program. And so when I see something like that, then I want to really share the message of who this person is and what they're doing. And that's sort of a long tangent about how we get to know each other. And so John's been in the book business for, I'm just going to use the term forever, you know, for quite a while, knows the book business inside and out. And so today we're going to talk, I guess I'll say all things books. So John, before I jump in, is there anything you want to add to that? No, that's a very nice introduction. Thank you, Corey. Okay, awesome. <laughs> and uh, by John's accent, you can perhaps tell he lives nearby. He drove uh, yeah. two hours, two and a half hours. Two hours, yeah. It seemed like a long way this morning, but uh, since so many people have come from Canada, it's, uh, I really can't complain. So, <laughs> yeah, was it? Yeah, pretty. You actually drove, drove uh, less than I did to get to Cambridge two days ago. Yeah, from Liverpool. So. Yeah, from Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so John, I, where I want to start is when we talk about books. Jumping right in, mm. um, what are your thoughts around? You know, a lot of people go into the book world. I see this all the time, thinking I'm going to make. I'm going into the book world because I'm going to retire as a writer. I'm going to make a ton of money, and uh, I'm never going to look back. And a lot of those people look back because <laughs> I, you know, I know some, I know multiple authors who've made millions of dollars with books, selling books. But I also know many, many more people that have barely made hundred dollars selling books, like directly selling books. And so, what are your thoughts, first of all, around that? About um, what's a realistic way to go into the book world? Yeah. I totally get that because that uh, describes me back in the day and you know, I had uh, naive ideas about uh, uh, how many books I would uh, sell and make my living. But I 
I, as you know, work primarily with business authors, um, experts, entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, speakers. And so the royalties are nice, and that's great, and it's a good sort of uh, way of kind of keeping score of book sales. But really, the, the power of a book is in, is in the other elements, so things like positioning you within your industry, um, lead generation, and then using the book to get media or get speaking or to sell a back-end product, coaching, consulting, um, some kind of product or service. So yes, royalties are nice. Um, but really, if, if you're in that space where you're using a, a, a book as a tool as well, that's the, the, the real money and the power of a book is on the, on the back end in terms of how you can reach people with that. So, so it brings up an interesting point. Sometimes do you feel we have to choose or maybe decide what is the goal of a specific book? And, and I'll add some context to that. Mm. But, uh, you know, I get, so I get a royalty check from Amazon. I think mine's quarterly. And so I get a royalty check from Amazon. I can tell you it's not the right home check. Like it's not like the, I'm retiring now because I get this royalty check. It is cool to get it because you're like, I'm a professional author. You know, Amazon's sending me money every quarter. That's great, but it's just more of the feeling to me. But what I'm getting at here is, to me, I see two very specific different types of authors. There's probably way more than that. But there's the author, and I'll just name drop, but there's the author like a James Redfield who sold 30-some million copies of Celestine Prophecy. We were just at a writer's retreat with Richard um, Evans, Richard Paul Evans, who wrote The Christmas Box, and you know, he's sold 35 million books. They made money, he told us what his advance was on his second book, and it was substantial, like you could retire off his advance from one book. These authors have made money, but if you look at the type of books they're writing, it's hard to build a back end on it completely. The Alchemist, you can go through on the whole list, right? The Four Agreements, hard to build a back end. Then you have the other book, which is like uh, Michael Poore, who writes about speaking, it's really easy to build a back end because he writes about how to speak and get paid, and then he can literally uh, run a program where he teaches people how to speak and get paid. Do you agree that you have to kind of decide what type of book is it, and then that helps your path? There's definitely an element of that, and I think, again, if you're, if you're in that space where you're looking to use a book as a tool and, and build that back end business, um, really getting clarity, one of the things I do with clients is, is that before we write a single word or before they speak a single word, because that's the quickest way of doing the book, uh, is get, go through an exercise to get real clarity on who their ideal client is. Because then, because most experts have a ton of knowledge up here, um, they could write several books. Uh, so it's how do you make sure you write the right book? Um, so there's a process to go through to get that clarity on who that ideal client is and, and you know, what problem are you going to solve for them? And then you can start to craft the book around that. Uh, and that helps with a lot of things, obviously attracting that person, but it also streamlines, it makes creating the book much easier, it create, makes marketing the book much easier, it makes creating the back end much easier, it makes getting media much easier. So it has a lot of, there's a lot of very positive spin-offs. And also, I mean, what I say to clients is, is if, if all we did was just go through that exercise and get that clarity and then stop there and never wrote the book, that should be, you know, that should give you the value that you, you, you paid for in the program just on, it, on its own in terms of getting that, uh, bringing those people into your business and, and getting more of those right fit ideal clients. Yeah, well, that's the thing, because then you can use that to target clients even if you never write the book. And I will say a key thing there about ideal client, we had this discussion last night, a bunch of us talking about uh, my latest book is not an easy book to build a back end to. Back into. It's more like those books I just mentioned. And um, I, had, I did beta 
feedback, which I, I still agree with. Some people say don't do, uh, Richard Evans, who I mentioned, doesn't think you should do feedback at all. Mm. And then I, uh, it's just an easy, since I mentioned both of them, James Redfield had 50 readers of the Celestine that told him every step along the way when they stopped reading, when they got bored, he wanted to know until the book was ready in his opinion. Both books did extremely well. Both authors have done extremely well doing different approaches. I decided to go with beta readers, but I had a couple, and I had great criticism, I had great feedback, but I had a couple of people, the criticism was rooted in the fact that they weren't my ideal clients. And bless it to them, one of the two, I think both, but one at least said, maybe I'm just not your, your ideal reader. And so when you get that feedback, to your point, once you're dialed in, then I think you don't start changing the book for that non-ideal reader, or sorry, non-ideal ideal reader. You know, like if we have, um, if I have 50 people providing feedback and only one person says that, I hate to say it, but a lot of times people will change their whole book based on that. And so again, learning who your ideal client is, is huge. And for me, also trying to figure out how I could create a back end of the book and have my cake and eat it too has been challenging. So in other words, it's not the type of book that traditionally has a back end, but I don't want to accept that. Mm. So I've been talking to a publisher that I know and what we're looking to do, she does funnels on that on the back end for books. And we're talking about where my book is like the 10 principles of how to live your life. Normally it's hard to build, like Robin Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari. Normally it's hard to build a back end, but what we're talking about is why don't I teach the lessons as like video training, and then we can sell it, and here's how you can go deeper than just what the book reveals. So we're trying to build a course in the back end. I will tell you, it's a lot harder mm. because you're trying to dial in a book that normally wouldn't be able to serve an audience in that way. But to that point again, what you said about ideal, once you know your ideal client and you're dialed in on that, I think that helps you not make changes that will actually lose ideal clients. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, and obviously you've got to uh, kind of, if somebody's got criticism, you can work out if it's a genuine criticism that, that is uh, applicable to any reader or if it's something that's, that's specific to uh, somebody coming from a t particular angle with a particular one. Um, and part of this, part of getting the right book for your, for your ideal client is, um, is knowing those clients. You know, so going through, um, you know, going through a sort of question asking exercise for yourself and for them potentially to, to figure out, you know, who are the people that you love to work with? You know, what is it you love to do? Who do you love to work with? Um, who have you got the best results for? Who have you had the most fun with in the past? And, and talking to them, and what problems do they need solving? And again, sort of narrowing down the focus of not just, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll give you an acronym which, which I use. So it, the acronym is SPICIO, S-P-I-C-I-O. The SP stands for your superpower. So figuring out what that is, that's the first step. Then you can figure out what it is you love to do, where you can deliver massive value to your client. Um, second part I see is your ideal client. Again, who do you love to work with? Who can you provide the most value to? Who, who will understand the, the value you're giving? Who is easy to work with and, and not super high maintenance? And, and, and questions like that to, to, to really dial in who's, and, you know, who's, uh, you know, who's got the budget to pay for, for what you do so you can actually afford to um, deliver that product or service. And then the um, IO at the end of Spicio is your irresistible offer. Once you know the first two, what your superpower is, what it is you want to deliver, what your, who, do, who your ideal client is, the irresistible offer almost kind of writes itself. Yeah, there's, again, there are some questions to go through, so I take people through three different uh, quite short exercises. Um, but you can very quickly dial in this amazing offer that's perfectly tailored to this person. Uh, and as I say, from that flows the book. You, you know exactly what to put in the book and you know exactly how to market that book. You know what kind of title to create and subtitle. 
um, what kind of keywords you're using. Um, but so part of that is you've got to know yourself and what you want to do and where you can deliver the most value. And you've got to know your that ideal client. And don't be afraid to talk, you know, to talk to lots of clients. Talk to the, your best clients, your favorite clients, the ones you had the most fun with, uh, and ask them questions about what made them choose you, what they got out of it, what is there anything else they want? Those kind of questions to really dial in um, what it is you should be delivering to people. And that doesn't just apply to a book, that applies to business in general. Well, it's interesting, the irresistible offer, uh, I was just, the other day, I saw somebody comment on this, but if you wanna know how to create an irresistible offer, and I, I went through this guy's stuff and he really is the real deal, is Alex Hermosi. Yeah, he's very He's good. got a book like 100 million, what's it called, 100 million, I forget what it is, but it's basically, <coughs> excuse me, how to grow your business to 100 million, which he's done, him and his wife. And, uh, in his, and he's become the person that everybody like quotes and puts the memes up. Anyway, he had a book coming out. I think it's like, it's coming up right away, August 11th or something. And Tyler, who I mentioned, put a post and said, everybody get prepared for all the amazing irresistible offers coming on August 12th because he feels as soon as that book drops, everybody and their dog is going to be an expert in irresistible offers because <laughs> they're literally going to read his book and then start teaching it, which is like a tread or whatever, a treads, tread. Uh, Facebook's new like oh, threads, threads, yeah. their new Twitter or whatever. I, I don't know if you guys saw this, I literally saw this. The day after it was announced, there were ads running on Facebook saying, let me help you crush it on threads. Mm -hmm. So you're late. an expert and it, it <laughs> launched 18 hours ago, but that's literally what happens. Mm -hmm. People say, somebody's gonna buy this. And so what I'm saying is when you say areas of offers, it makes me think of that. But the truth is you could do worse than to go read how, how he talks about, like meaning how Alex Armosi talks about creating irresistible offers. So check his workout. Um, what I was gonna say about that as far as, um, well, I was gonna go one step further. And first of all, I love the acronym. I'm a big, you know, acronyms help us remember so much stuff and it's so much easier and spicio is unique. It's not like a word like, you know, same or something. <laughs> so, uh, so I love that, John. Uh, I'm gonna go in a different direction. A lot of, one of the things I'd like to walk to is uh, email newsletters, a lot of people, a, either don't realize how powerful it is to start a newsletter early on, or, or B, don't know how to do it. And so I say this because as business owners, I think anybody who's a business owner watching this really should consider having an email list. Like if you don't have one now, start yesterday. Like it truly is that valuable. Uh, it's the one, I'm not, I don't believe in regrets, but the one thing I wish I would have done sooner is start an email list, and I've been doing it for over 10 years. And I still wish I would have done it sooner. Reason I bring this up is one of the things that John teaches, which I think is so powerful, so I'm gonna get you to talk on this, but you know, look into his work about this as well. But whenever I was early on, I'm like, I need to be, I got, there's gotta be a way I can leverage my book to grow my email list. And I was giving away my book, one of my books as a PDF, and I was getting people to sign up because I would go to my own network. And I got some people like um, John Lee Dumas, who has a big network to share it for me. And I remember the difference when you're, you uh, partner with somebody, like I remember the day John shared it. Now this is going back, 10 years roughly, like his, I mean, we're, we're a lot busier now, everybody's hit with so much, it, it wouldn't be probably the same numbers. But John sent it out and about three hours later, we had passed 600 people that signed up in like three hours. And his email list was only about 10,000 at the time, it's just they loved him so much. Yeah. And, but the, I bring this up because that was huge. And then I experienced something that was even bigger, which is what you teach, which is I didn't know it even existed, but uh, on Amazon, you can give your book away for free for five days if you sign up for Kindle Select. Now, I'm not a technical person. I'm not going technically. I'm just saying, if you put your Kindle book on Amazon and you go exclusively with them, 
Then for 90 days, each 90 days, you agree to go with them exclusively a 90-day periods. During that 90 days, you can put your book for free for uh, five days. And so what I learned about, and it could be 99 cents, you could do this too, but I found with uh, the difference between 99 cents and free didn't change much about who I was getting on my list. Um, I know what 99 cents people are paying, but I found for that little bit, it didn't make a difference. But what I learned from John's Crushable Kindle is that there were all these book marketing sites out there that actually have like 300,000 readers on their site, and you could pay them $20 to send your book out to them twice. So they'll direct their book, when it's for free, to that Amazon page. And in my book, now that's not going to get me any email signups. That's just going to get them to download my book for free. Amazon doesn't collect emails for me. But what I did, which I learned from John, we, we figured out, is that uh, in the front of every book I have, it says, hey, thanks for grabbing my book. Want a free audiobook? Go here. So we get people in the first two pages to sign up for my newsletter. So by doing what he said, I had 20,000 downloads. And if I remember correctly, about 4,500 to 5,000 people signed up for my newsletter in five days using that system. And what I did was I paid those book marketing sites a little less than $1,000 total to share my book and had 5,000 people sign up. I think you would agree, anybody, <laughs> if you could get Facebook ads for that low, everybody in the world would be running Facebook ads. So what I'm saying is that was a low cost to get people signed up my list. So can you talk to that? Does that still work as well? Do you still teach that? Like That was a huge thing for me, and I know that I've had clients every year buying from me, something I've offered that started originally from that list. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, 20, 20 cents a, a lead, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think um, anybody can. Yeah, it, it, you know, Definitely having something to give away at the start of your book or anything else is, um, it's, it still works. Maybe not as much as, again, like a lot of things, this, we're hit with a lot more stuff. So the response rates are lower, say, than they were five years ago or 10 years ago. But still very, very much worth doing. And of course, if you've got a book, those people are highly targeted. Um, they wouldn't be browsing your book if they, if they weren't. Uh, so it's still a powerful strategy. And one thing that, that is another tip which I would give people um, is to test different bonus offers and see what works with your audience. Um, I had a, so um, this is something I learned from uh, listening to Hal Alrod speak, and he was talking about uh, having a, a giveaway in the Miracle Morning, and he was getting 80% of the people going to the um, page were signing up. And he was called out at a publishing event on that by a woman in the audience who basically said it was BS. And he said, no, 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 it's, it's true. And he's like, explain the numbers and how it worked. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. And I had a particular page that um, was a, a kind of a redirect page, just a landing, very simple landing page. And I was giving away a, a book. And it was a book that I sell. Uh, so I was giving it away for free. So there was real value there. And it was, it was targeted. And it was converting at just over 20%. I and I was sort of happy with that. It had been like that for two years. Anyway, I because purely and only because of listening to this uh, uh, talk from Hal, I thought, I wonder. <laughs> so I changed, I, I, I looked at what Hal had done, basically that what, what he had done that had got such a high sign-up rate, is he'd given people like uh, kind of cheat sheets and stuff like that that they could use to help them implement the Miracle Morning. People really respond to that kind of thing. So a, like an aid memoir, a cheat sheet, a step-by-step -step guide, something that it can be as simple as a sort of one-page or two-page PDF, very, very straightforward. Um, we sort of tend to think that like you need to throw loads of stuff at people. That's often not the case. It's kind of counterintuitive. So I changed my giveaway to another book, which was 44 Top Resources for Writers, just so that you know what it was. Um, and it was all the different sort of softwares and little hacks and things that I'd picked up over basically 10 years of teaching online publishing and Amazon publishing. And uh, 
I put it at that, and I didn't expect a great deal, and my sign-up rate went up by 400%. So my, uh, and what, I remember when I first heard Al, Al, Al uh, explaining this, I thought, well, there's no way I could hit that. I beat Hal's conversion rate on that page. So my, con my conversion rate for that page now is 81%. Still now? Still now, yeah. Um, and uh, from, from about 21, just under 21% up to 81%. I just and, got my money's worth coming and, to Cambridge. <laughs> and I worked out, perhaps I shouldn't have done this, I worked out how many leads I'd lost by not doing it at the beginning. Oh. Um, and in the two years that I had the original one up, uh, it, it, uh, I, I was down by, it would cost me 2,000 leads, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should never go back and see what you, see what you lost but by not doing it. The point there is just, you know, test different things because you never know what's going to resonate best with your audience. But so people do definitely, if you're in the sort of teaching how-to space, people really respond to things, guides, quick starts, step-by-step um, -step cheat sheets, that kind of stuff that help them implement what you are teaching them. All right, so I'm down to my last question, but I'll just <laughs> add to what you just said there, John. So I'm going to try this. And um, Hal Elrod, just for those that haven't heard of him, that book, The Miracle Morning, fascinates me. It's still self-published to this day, I believe. Is it correct, right? I think he's moved to it. He was. I think he's moved to a publisher. But okay. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> it, I know as a self-published, well, The Miracle Morning, this book we're talking about, and he has a, a bunch of, like in a series, almost like Chicken Soup now like the Miracle Morning for golfers or whatever. But the original Miracle Morning, the last number I heard from, I think Chandler Bold, was that it was at 2.7 million books sold. Starting as a self-published author, like that's very rare. Mm. And, and the Miracle Morning, the premise of it, have you guys ever heard of the 5 a.m. club? Robin Sharma wrote that one. And then who is it, Jack Canfield has another one. But basically the idea of getting up at say five or six and meditating and yoga and whatever you do, exercising, Whatever it is, um, the idea, that's what his idea is, the miracle morning. Like, what's your miracle morning? Mm. And I think he even talks about it. it might not be the same for each person. Like, I think he said he tried it at 5 a.m. club, and he realized trying it that way didn't work for him, like the way Robin Sharma does it. So he switched his miracle morning. But the point is, the miracle morning is, I think, it was, oh, what it was is he got in an accident or something, and he couldn't walk or whatever. They told me he'd never be able to again. And he practiced this miracle morning, and it changed everything. So he wrote this book. And obviously it resonates with people. But for those that want to get a book out into the world, I heard him say recently uh, the most effective thing he did out of all of his marketing was going on podcasts. And he said, I think he said he went on 270-some podcasts in six months. Anyway, he said the thing that sold the most books was being consistently on a podcasting tour. Mm -hmm. So that's the power of podcasting. Right. So I said I had uh, one last question uh, before we let you run, John. It's a question I ask almost every guest I bring on. Anytime I'm doing an interview, it's called the time machine question. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like it sounds. If you could jump into a time machine, go back and talk to a younger John, and give him some life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, what do you think you might tell younger John? Yeah, well, uh, what I would tell myself is it's kind of what I already told you earlier. It's that spicier process. The first business I had, um, as you know, I... I I'm a former or a reformed corporate lawyer. <laughs> that reformed. was my previous life. Um, I had an online real estate company, uh, which I ran for four years. And uh, I learned a ton. I got a lot of things right. I also got a lot of things wrong. And one of the things I got wrong was I, I was targeting the wrong people. I was targeting people who were very, very price sensitive. And, I, was, and I, I didn't know how to differentiate my business from all the others that were out there. So I was essentially competing on price. 
And when you compete on price and business, it's a race to the bottom. Um, you know, you either go under, which is actually the best thing that can happen, or you don't go under, you just barely scrape by and it's miserable. So actually going under is, is almost better. Um, and now had I, had I known that process that, that, that of dialing into your ideal client, you know, your superpower, your ideal client, your irresistible offer, I would have set things up very differently. I would have positioned myself very differently. I would have charged different prices. The whole thing would have been completely different. So, um, you know, I learned that the hard way, uh, A, by going through that experience, and B, learning from lots of different people in, in the business space and going to seminars and books and reading books and so on. Um, uh, I could have saved myself a lot of time, money, hassle, pain, stress, um, uh, self-doubt, if I'd have known that process when I started my entrepreneurial journey. Wow. And I want to ask you how we can learn more, but I just have to say, it's, you don't hear that very often, somebody going from a corporate lawyer to entrepreneur. I don't, I don't even think you hear that very often. So that's, that <laughs> must have been quite a unique experience, especially when you did it. Yeah. yeah I mean, I pro you probably don't know one other corporate lawyer probably that went into a totally different entrepreneurial business, do you? Um, I, there's a few that leave. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you just don't seem to hear. I don't hear it that often, so that's pretty cool. Um, so, John, as far as how people can connect with you if they want to learn more, where would you send them? Well, obviously, my books are on Amazon, um, but the easiest way, place to go to would be um, I, I, my website, which is johntai.com, or to uh, crushitwithkindle.com. Awesome. So, johntai.com or crushitwithkindle.com. Amazing. John Ty, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here. I'll call it until next time and it to be continued. Thank you, Karen. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>